Hello, everyone. Uh, I'm here today with Fortunis Games, and we are continuing the discussions about writing short stories. Today, we're talking about The Shave, uh, which is Fortunis Games' short story told from the point of view of Raisa Abramov, Sam's mother. The plot trigger, so to speak, is the fact that, and here I quote, Levka, which is her husband Lev, a term of endearment, had decided to obscure his face with a beard of biblical proportions. I, unquote. The beard is a symbol that the story revolves around. So here we get to hear Raisa's voice, her views on America and the immigration of her and her family, and also her perspective on the conflict or on the difference of opinions between Sam and Lev. Um, this is a story that you have written, Fortunis Games, very recently. Um, how do your recent writings differ from your old ones? And here I'm talking mostly about uh, writing such as Bismaji that you were writing back in uh, 2015 and Blue Star, a more recent one, I think uh, 2016, I guess. So uh, what, what changed, do you think? How is your approach different? Very good question. And this is something that we never really talked about on this podcast, you know, especially my older works from 2015 and 2016. I think what has really changed is that I think I'm still character focused. And back then I was kind of character focused, but not necessarily, especially for something like Bismachi, which is more like theme focused and more focused on historical facts and certain extreme emotions. But here I'm more focused on the mundane. I would say that from 2016, Blue Star included, to now what has really changed is that I've chosen to focus more on the mundane and on more ordinary things, such as you know the, this family life and painting an intimate picture of how this family interacts with each other. But in the past, I usually focused on more extreme and like, I guess things that most people would never get to experience, such as like, you know, killing during war, you know, trauma, PTSD, and in Blue Star living under the Soviet government and a lot of really dysfunctional things happening. You know, a lot of characters that I had in Blue Star, for example, Ardayan, he was much, much more negative than he is now. I think the way that Ardayan is now, he's, he's still not a good person, but he's more mundane. But back then he was pretty bad, like really, really bad. He harms a lot of people. And I think in a way it was a lot darker. And now my series is a little bit less dark, but it's still dark at, in its approach to not, like boldly exploring things that people don't necessarily want to talk about. You know, like a lot of things in family histories, family relationships, regrets, you know, a lot of parental problems. These are explored honestly and boldly in a way that I think some people would be scared to approach. And in the past, I wouldn't approach these topics because I think it was too boring and maybe I thought I didn't have enough life experience to explore it. So that was why in the past, I usually chose to wrote, write more things that were like way out there. For example, like war and tragedy and trauma and such. Yeah. Yes, indeed, indeed. So uh, I'd say that your writing is more mature right now because it is more subtle. So although I did enjoy Basmachi greatly because uh, I do like very much the themes of war and PTSD especially. Uh, so I really liked how it was portrayed. But if I take a look at the characters that you had back then, um, uh, so I, I do see a difference uh, in terms of uh, uh, how complex the characters are um, compared to Sam, who, well, yeah, that there is a great difference because those characters, I think they were meant to, to function in that context only. So they are, they were people uh, who were, or th they were characters who were meant to uh, illustrate the themes of the story. They were not really their, their own persons. Is it true? Yes, I think so. I think you nailed it. That was a very good way of putting it. I think they were more like an extension of the themes I wanted to explore, you know, rather than 
an actual person because I couldn't imagine how those characters were like outside of that particular context. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, that's right. That's right. Mm-hmm. And uh, also they did not have a very well uh, constructed personality, I think. I mean, of course, the, the protagonist, uh, Chingis, mm-hmm. am I pronouncing yeah. this correctly? Yeah. All right. So so Chingis was, yeah, he was a complex character, but then it was only him. So we we don't get to to explore anything to to learn anything about media other than the situation that he puts Ching is in right yeah so uh if we compare that to uh to the the story of sam there is a great difference in this respect i think so yeah because I think I started feeling bad about my characters in 2016 when I did this quiz online. It was like asking you about your characters and what personalities they had and like challenging you to do the the 16 personalities test. You know, it's like for real people, right? Like when you like do a job interview, sometimes they take they tell you to do it. They're like, can you do this for your OC? And I'm like, no, I can't. I can barely answer any of them because I didn't know anything about them as a person. And I was like, oh, you know, that's kind of lacking. I mean, I don't even know how their personalities really are like. I don't know what hobbies they have. I don't know how their family life is like because I never had to think about that. And I suddenly start feeling a little bit bad. But now that I look bad at it, there's no need to feel bad because there's different kinds of characters out there, right? Some of them are not constructed to be fully fledged people. And that's okay because some stories don't need that. Exactly, exactly. This is what I always said. I I greatly enjoy stories like that because they they are simply meant uh, to show other things, other aspects of life. So it's not really necessary to write a good character. It's not really necessary to know, uh, I don't know, what they eat in the morning or I don't know what uh, details like that. You don't have to know all of them, right? I mean, as long as they they function in the story in a realistic way, there's no need. There are different kinds of of stories and you can have a lot of symbolism and uh, and you can have uh, philosophical themes or psychological themes that don't, that can be deep without really requiring that kind of detailed uh, portrayal of a character. Mm-hmm. But so, so I would not say that uh, it was a mistake. Definitely. I mean, I haven't read it in many years, but I was totally fascinated by it. Uh, also because it's exactly the kind of story that I very much enjoyed reading at the time and I still love it, especially the, the PTSD part and, and, and the part where the character is placed in a, in a very... Uh, in front of an extreme choice, mm-hmm. like like Chinese's place back then, and I thought uh, he acted realistically. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it did have the whole story a uh, surreal tone, but I love that because we we don't often see that. I mean, not often enough. <laughs> I really mm-hmm. love that thing, and I don't mm-hmm. find that often enough. So I did not find it as a flaw, mm-hmm. but. I totally know what you mean. And of course you have evolved as a writer and you are able to write other things that can be subtle and that can be deep, but not as far-fetched and not as removed from our daily experience. Mm-hmm. I think in the past, I never even had the idea of exploring something that's more connected to our present because I, I wasn't really reading a lot of books per se that were really disconnected from my present. But I always thought that, oh, you know, people would prefer to read something that's really different from what we usually see in our lives, because isn't that kind of boring? That's what I would have thought. So if you talk to me back when I was 20 or 21, that was when I was making Bismachi. I don't know if I would have liked my own work that I'm doing now. Like if I saw Samuel York as a 20 year old, would I would I have liked it? I don't know. Like I would have liked it, I think. But then I would kind of probably think it's boring because it's oh it's just about some some ordinary guy (laughs) with strict parents (laughs) and he doesn't have any adventures per se like not in that sense of the word I mean in Bismachi they have huge adventures I mean they go (laughs) they 
they're like in, in quote, you know, really exciting part of the world with lots of revolutions, you know, bright, colorful, historical clothes, you know, guns, hats and everything. But Sam, New York is so mundane in comparison. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I mean, Sam, you never killed someone. You, you never had a gun in your hand. How can you be so boring? <laughs> And he's such a, he's not a, he's not a, he's not like a weak person, but he's not, you know, incredibly strong and determined either. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Well, Genghis isn't either exactly that type. I mean, he tries to be the hero, but he doesn't. I mean, that there was a, a contradiction there as well, which I loved very much. But other than that, indeed, it was much more far-fetched than something that most readers would not experience. So like you said, I think it's maybe more difficult to write about mundane things in a way that is not boring. Because if you write about war, it will definitely not be boring because you have people shooting each other and all that. So that is already given to you. But here, it is not given. You have to make it interesting. So this is why your 20-year-old self, if, if she read the premise of Sam in New York, <laughs> she would just browse to a different story, right? Exactly. <laughs> no, not this one. It doesn't have guns. The next one <laughs> it doesn't have guns. And the clothes are just wow. So many people wearing the same suit over and over again. The brown suit again. <laughs> At least Sam has a pink suit. So that makes it a little bit more interesting. But everyone else wears a gray, brown, or black suit. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, that's right. And the Basmachi characters, they have those really out of the ordinary clothes and so and so colorful and, and those hats. <laughs> I was always fascinated by the hats. <laughs> I wanted to buy one from eBay, but I didn't have enough money back then. But now I can. So I can buy them. But this is like six years after Basmachi ended. <laughs> <laughs> oh gosh, you have to do that. I mean, seriously, you really have to, to get that. What what kind of was it? it? Was it something that Chinggis would wear? Yeah, you know, the what white one, the white felt one that he wore on the cover. Oh, the, the yeah, black, yeah, yeah the, with the black thing on the kind of like swirly black thing on it. Yeah, I you saw it on sale on eBay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that would be so awesome. It is. Yeah. <laughs> By the way, I still have the Basmachi pictures, all of them on Google Drive. And one day I will go back and rewrite it to make it better. Because back then, I think some of the writing felt really forced because I do remember having a lot of difficulty writing certain parts of it. I was like, oh, I don't know how to do this. So I was just like, oh, okay, let's just force myself to write random dialogue <laughs> and like some deep thing. But I didn't really think it was that good. I just did it. So I'm like, okay, now this part is done. I can move on to the next part that I actually feel inspired to work on. So there were yeah, things I need to definitely go back to and fix and pro possibly rewrite because I think I can now give a different twist to it that's even like more mature, not as like, yeah, I want to write it now, but then I don't want to write it, but I'm going to force myself to write it. It has to be more planned out, more disciplined approach to it. Indeed. And, and I'm glad we're getting to this because I wanted to ask you if you are going to, to edit the story and, uh, and, and make it different. And if you want to change a lot about it or just uh, the wording to make it sound less forced, or if you want to to change part, entire parts of the plot? What do you think? <clears throat> I think I lost a lot of the writing because it was not in a Word document. I think it was, but then I don't know where it went. It's on somewhere on some old USB and I don't know if I have the time to go through like 20 USBs to find it. It wasn't on my Google Drive. So it might be an interesting exercise for me to totally rewrite it based on memories that I have of it but then rewriting certain things that I think would make it better so I'll look at each picture that I drew and then think hmm how can I turn this into a story okay I think that is a very bold approach and uh well from <laughs> from my experience of editing my older stuff uh sometimes it is a lot easier to just remake it uh, and it's more effective mm -hmm. uh, 
than to just follow and just change one word and another mm -hmm. because I tried to do that with Sons of Disobedience and it did not look good. And so yeah. then I, mm -hmm. I realized that, that I need to, to rewrite it completely. And so maybe even if it sounds daunting, maybe this is what uh, is best to do. So mm -hmm. it's, it's great that, that you want to do that. Mm -hmm. Exactly. And I still have the stuff from Blue Star as well, but I never finished it. So I could maybe post some of the pages and just make it some kind of like a collection of random pictures. I don't know. I could do that as well. Yeah. Yeah. Or maybe you can just turn it into a, a short story and just use one or a few aspects of it and not make it because you are planning to make it a longer piece, right? Mm -hmm. Exactly. Yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. This was really interesting. And I'm very curious to see how, how all these things will turn out because I really yeah. loved your older pieces as well. And uh, I would very much like to, to read Basmachi again. <laughs> I'm very excited about this. <laughs> it would be interesting. Yeah. All right. So let's, uh, let's move to the shave. Um, how did this story came to be? I think it was because I was thinking of joining another contest, which I've, I actually, they have been really helpful in getting me to write more because one of the problems I had in the last few years was just not having any inspiration, so to speak, to write short stories. Like I didn't really write anything per se. I just uh, thought of the graphic novel for Sam in New York and I wrote for that. Like I wrote the dialogue, I wrote the narration, but actually sitting down in front of the computer and opening a Google doc to write a story with no illustrations. I haven't done that for years. So after looking at all those contest entries, I was like, you know, maybe I could try doing this kind of thing again. So ever since the last week of August this year, I've been writing at least maybe two or three stories per month. And most of them are around 2000 to maybe 4,000 words. And the shave is one of these. It's one of the longer works I've been writing so far, and it also explores an aspect of the story that I plan to explore later in Sam New York, but probably will not get around to talking about it directly until much, much later. So it talks about um, you know, Sam's parents, Lev and Riza, and how they met, what are their regrets, you know, especially now that they are middle-aged, and how they interact with their son, Sam. And I think what really prompted me to explore this was thinking about the dysfunction because, you know, as people say, every family is dysfunctional in some way or another. And I'm, you know, Levin Reiser are not abusive parents. They are not, you know, narcissists or anything like that, but they do have their own flaws, especially, you know, when it comes to a lot of regrets they have about each other, um, you know, about how their business turned out in America, which wasn't as smooth as they thought it would be. And a lot of the fears they have about the future, especially since Sam decided to leave law school, which they had previously thought would help all of them to, you know, become the typical middle class Americans with the successful lives. But now they don't really have any of this anymore. So when things become not stable anymore, how, do, how does relationship change? You know, how does a family change when things are not stable anymore. That's what I wanted to explore in this story. Right, right, I see. Um, so what can you tell us about the structure and how does it differ from other recent short stories of yours? Mm, the structure, I think like my other short stories, it is first person from Rise's perspective. And it is also very descriptive, very flow of consciousness and it, flashes back back and forth from you know stuff in the past to the present and some speculation about the future. So I think it's very free form, you know, it's not like, oh, this happened and then this happened and this happened. It kind of jumps back and forth from the point of view of Risa. And compared to my other short stories, I would say most of them are like this as well, especially the ones I've been writing this year. Because previously, you know, my short stories that I wrote in 2016, you know, with Blue Star and Basmachi, they were not first person. I think, as you recall, most of my, most of the stuff I wrote was not in first person. Mm, exactly, exactly. But first person reveals so much more about the characters, right? Mm -hmm. So, um, 
well, how do you think Raisa's voice compares to Sam's? Because you write Sam in first person as well. So what what makes one different from the other? Like if if, if a reader were to to read just a fragment, would they realize that it's from Raisa's point of view, for example? So, and and how 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 do you make her to uh, to stand out as as her own person? I think what really makes her stand out is regret. And I think maybe a sense of guilt because she always didn't like how Lev was pushing Sam to be a lawyer, but then she was always too afraid to speak up because she thought that he was probably right. And then she wanted him to be right. And for this assumption to be right, because it just seems easier. A lot of the times in life, a lot of people know that this is probably not right, but then they want to force themselves to believe in it because it's easier. It gives them less stress because the reality may be even more stressful especially when it's uncertain. So that's what I want to explore with Riza. She's a very, I guess you can say that she's a very anxious person in, in a lot of ways, especially when things don't go the way as expected. And, you know, she's a very anxious, kind of scared person and she wants, you know, a lot of support, but then the support doesn't happen a lot of the time, especially since Lev becomes increasingly distant from her as he gets older for the reasons that are explored in this story. And, after immigration, she lost contact. Well, I mean, they still send letters to each other, but it's very different. I mean, they, she doesn't get to see them face to face and they can't interact with her physically. She loses contact with her parents as well as her, as her siblings and, and all of her childhood friends. So I think this is what makes Riza even more scared than she was before. She was never really as bold as Sam was because you know Sam is a very bold person or at least he tries to force himself to be. At times he can also be anxious, but he tries to hide it because he thinks that if he acts bold, then he will naturally become bold. But I don't think Riza has that in her anymore. Like she's just so tired. You know, she's kind of nihilistic, a little bit cynical. And this is what, you know, kind of draws her to Ardayan and he interacts with her in this story as well. You know, I think this is something that she has to deal with. She has to deal with this nihilism. She has to deal with these fears and she has to deal with the looming possibility of the future. I think that's what she's really scared of that, you know, the future is so uncertain. You know, instead of someone seeing, you know, some people can see an uncertain future as something that's, oh yeah, that's actually a good thing. So I can reshape the future the way I want. She doesn't see it that way. She sees it as very scary. The fact that the future is so undetermined and so amorphous, it really, really scares her. Unlike Sam, who's like, yeah, I'm going to take the future by its neck and like, you know, make it fit the, fit the vision of the life that I want to live. I don't think Riza has that viewpoint. Definitely, they are so different in this respect because Raisa is in search of stability, whereas Sam, uh, well, in a way, he is the opposite, right? Because instead of pursuing that life of stability that being a lawyer would be, or at least this is what his parents uh, understand it, uh, he goes for the life that is so much more uncertain, right? The, the one of an actor. So he, he does that willingly. Whereas for Raisa, that, that, is a, that is a terrible moment, the moment when she realizes that she doesn't have that stability and that sets her off balance. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's something that really scares her. Mm, indeed. Um, immigration is, uh, uh, again, a great part of uh, the story because it is a great part of the experience of this family. Mm -hmm. And what is interesting here is that we can see Raisa's perspective, which we haven't seen before. And she also had the experience of living in Odessa before. So compared to Sam, who has only known America and he knows the old world only from the stories of his parents, Raisa has experienced it firsthand. So what are her views on immigration? I think at the beginning, she thought it was amazing. Like, you know, a lot of people always think, yeah, you know, you know, we're going to have this new life in America and, you know, it's going to be really great because they're more advanced, they have better jobs and they think there, there would be more opportunities for them than they actually got. Because unfortunately, what happened was that no one would hire them. So they had to create their own business. And 
they had to take out loans to do it, but they thought it wouldn't be that bad. You know, they're like, oh, you know, so many people make it in America. You know, I think we could probably make it. Like, even if we don't become rich, which we're not really looking for, we can survive, right? But it's a lot more difficult than was expected. And it creates a lot of stress. And, you know, I think I symbolize that with the Abramov printing house, which symbolizes, you know, I guess kind of like a fall from innocence. At the beginning, they think that this printing house, which is their family business, is going to be so great. But then I think there's this paragraph later on in the in the short story where Risa says, I'm starting to hate it. Even thinking about that printing house is making me angry and sad. Because it sort of shows her that she has not really failed, but the the reality is not as glamorous as she used to to to, to believe and to hope, right? Because even if uh, I don't think they ever had a lot of stability in their lives, but they always had the hope, right? That if we put a lot of work into this, we will eventually get there. Then time has passed, and and she sees that not only it's is it getting better, but it's getting worse, right? So, so this is what creates this aversion of hers towards the printing house. Exactly. And, you know, it also kind of shows the distance that's growing between her and Lev, right? At the beginning, when they first came to America, they were a very, you know, attractive couple, as she described themselves. You know, they took care of themselves. They were confident. You know, they were really bright about the future. But now they both are really shabby. They're really tired all the time. They suck at communicating with each other. And they're just really scared about what the future has to hold, especially since Sam has quit law school so recently. So I think that revelation that their son has quit law school made them even more distant from each other. I think so, yeah. So this is in a way what what triggered this turning point in their lives, right? It is also the, the fact that their business is going worse and worse, but it's also the fact that... Uh, their their last hope, so to speak, Sam's law career is now ending, right? So maybe this is one thing that uh, um, that brings them to this point. And this is really interesting because in this story we get to empathize with Sam uh, all the way, and we only see his perspective, and we see his parents through his lens. But here we see his parents uh, in intimacy. What they actually feel about it and not how they argue with him what have you done why have you done that now we actually see what they think and feel and uh, this is really interesting because we get to see the other side of the coin and that they are not just some whimsical people and authoritarian parents but we get to empathize with them as well mm-hmm, um, exactly Right. And yes. it's also interesting that um, we get to see the beginnings of her relationship with Lev. So what did she like about him at first? And what does she still like about him? I think what she liked about him at the for, at the beginning was that he was someone who was different from everyone else. And he wasn't going to apologize for being different, especially since he had a lot of opinions. You know, he was willing to take Uh, leadership and he was very bold about what he wanted to see in society you know he was very idealistic he wanted there to be more rights for minorities and you know to fight for rights in Russia that was increasingly autocratic and you know pro-Tsarist and you know he was not really an anarchist but he was extremely left-wing and he was you know pro-labor unions you know and basically kind of like I guess from a certain perspective he would be seen as heroic But then, you know, if you see him from another perspective, like Ardayan's perspective, he's foolish, <laughs> like he says. <laughs> exactly. Too idealistic. Yeah, that this is how Ardayan describes him, right? So, but uh, they were young at the time and they both have changed. They definitely have. I think Riza now looking at Lev, I think there's a lot of things she doesn't like about him that ironically she did like about him. The idealism has turned into extreme stubbornness, for example, and this is something that she doesn't really like because it really makes communication difficult, right? When someone's always saying, no, I'm right, then how can you communicate with them? They, ha- they always have to have the final word. And even when they say they agree with you, they don't actually agree with you. They just say it because they don't want to argue with you anymore. 
This is really interesting. This is actually fascinating. So to talk about uh, an undeniable quality, right? And to see the other side of it, right? So, so he can be idealistic, but because of it, he's very stubborn. And he, uh, he has a lot of strong opinions. And this is why he believes that he's always right. And he also likes imposing these opinions on others. Yeah, so, so that's something. Yeah, two two facets. <laughs> exactly. There's always two sides to something, you know. Like you think that this person's really kind, but for as an example, right? But maybe they're really kind because they want to prove a point. And when you find that out, do you still like it? They're not being kind necessarily for the sake of being kind. They're doing it to prove a point, or they're doing it to compensate for another personality trait that they're they think they're missing. Exactly, exactly. So this is really interesting to, to see illustrated in the story. Um, mm -hmm. So uh, what does she still like about him? I think she likes that he's a responsible person. I mean, despite the stubbornness, because Lev is such a proud person, he really believes in having a lot of responsibilities and being responsible. And this is something that he's tried to impart to Sam as well. So Sam, I know he seems like someone who's really lack lackadaisical, but he does have a lot of, like, he, he feels responsible for a lot of things. He's not going to abandon someone when they need help. Mm, that's true. That's true. Exactly. And, and also, uh, it's the fact that uh, Lev is a hardworking person who doesn't leave a lot of things on her shoulders, right? So he always wants to, to share responsibility, responsibilities and maybe to, to take on himself more responsibilities. So he's not the kind of husband who would say, I don't know, why is your cooking so bad? Because we know that Raisa has a problem with cooking, right? So, yeah. <laughs> so they just both go out to eat to solve that issue. <laughs> exactly, exactly. So he is authoritarian in some respects, but he has kept that um, that attitude where he believes in equality and uh, responsibility and everything. So that is certainly one good thing about him that that makes him a very good husband. Mm -hmm. That's true, because one of the things that I think drew her attention was that um, in the 1890s, Lev was involved in these movements that were basically very gender equalitarian. There was like, I think one three quarters, no, sorry, one third of all the people in the pre-Bundist left-wing movements were women. So I think he believes in gender equality. He's not like some old fashioned patriarch that just sits there and says, you have to do everything, you know, I don't care. I'm the, I'm the man of the house. Like, he's not like that. Yes, definitely, definitely, yeah. Um, he was, um, especially when he was young, very much like Sam, wasn't he? Uh, how would you say that he, he compares to, to Sam? I mean, young Lev compares to Sam. Because this, this is something that Sam really doesn't see. And Lev doesn't see it either. Because if you ask Lev in the present, he would say that he's so different from Sam, right? And, and Sam, even more, he, he believes he has nothing in common with his father. Mm -hmm. But Raisa, because she has this, this perspective when she's in the middle, so she can afford to be objective, uh, and she knew Lev uh, when he was young, she can see this very clearly. What does she see? I think she can see that both of them are idealistic, but in different ways. I think I, um, Sam is idealistic, not about social movements and social justice per se, but about life, Have, you know, the ability to be free because I think one of the things that Sam really wants for himself is the ability to be free in all aspects of his life. He doesn't want to be trapped by the Dean or his parents or societal expectations. He wants to be able to have the agency to make the choices that he's always wanted to make. And I think one of the things that Sam realizes as he gets older is that sometimes being having this kind of agency is impossible because certain situations don't let you have that much agency but he still wants to be able to have as much agency as possible 
So he's not going to be forced into something he doesn't like, which is law school, just because he wants to make his parents happy. That's that goes against his principles, even when it is even though, you know, as Levin Reiser would say, it's not realistic. He doesn't care that it's not realistic. It's just against his principles. And similarly, I think Lev would say, I don't care that it's unrealistic that, you know, for example, I want all these left wing labor movements and the SAR to be gone. I, I mean, yeah, it may be unrealistic at that time, but then he's going to push for it anyways. Just like how Arda Jan said in the story that, you know, your husband's idealism is just naivety, not naivety, naivety. Yes, right, right, exactly. So uh, they are very similar in this respect. Uh, how do you think Lev would would be uh, if he were in Sam's shoes, if he were young again, and if his parents wanted to push him into doing something that he didn't want to do, would he conform or would he do, well, what Sam does? I think he would not conform. I mean, he would probably do what Sam does because Lev, as a young man, he also left Minsk. He wasn't originally from Odessa. He was from Minsk and his parents were traditionally religious and he didn't really want that life for himself. So he wanted to see the outside world. So what he did was basically jump on a caravan to Odessa. So that is kind of like mirroring what Sam does as well, right? His parents want him to be a middle-class American lawyer, he doesn't want that. Exactly, exactly. But Lev doesn't see that way. Does he look at Sam and see, oh, this is me in my youth? Uh, or would you say that he realizes it in a way, but he sees the flaws? So that he does the mistakes that I did in my youth? Would, would he think that? I don't think he sees it as a mistake. It's more like, it's a different situation, he would say, you know, in America, you don't have to take as many risks. It's easier to just do everything the way that it should be done. Like, that's what he would say anyways. And another and another excuse he has is, I didn't grow up in America, so let's just play it safe. Because playing it safe probably means that we can make it easier. I think that's what a lot of immigrants believe. They prefer to play it safe because they don't know America or Australia or whatever that well. So they think, you know, let's just get a master's in computer science and that's easy, right? We should be able to get a job with a master's in computer science. And that's what they probably think. And maybe Lev thinks that as well, right? Because he thinks Russia is much more chaotic, a lot more, I guess in a way it's like, you don't have to take the typical path in Russia, because he can see that there's many different paths, especially in those pre-Tsarist days, right? So like in America, he knows less people. He doesn't really know the culture. He's just making a lot of assumptions based on what he's heard from people. So he thinks that it should be easier to succeed if you just follow the ordinary path as, as uh, opposed to other paths, which he doesn't know about in America, because he doesn't, he didn't grow up there and he doesn't know enough connections. Mm, exactly. It, it makes sense. So he would, uh, he would find the, the excuse, the, the explanation that the situations are very different. So he doesn't realize that he would probably do the same things that Sam does. Exactly. Yeah. Mm. And another thing is that Sam's um, personality, at least on the surface, looks very different. Lev is someone who doesn't smile a lot. He's not very energetic. I mean, he's not tired, but he's not like, you know, he's not jaunty like Sam is. Sam seems a little bit hyperactive and maybe a bit too sociable. And I think Lev maybe subconsciously sees this as a mark of immaturity. That's right. Yeah, because of their difference in personalities, they have trouble understanding each other and they make some assumptions because they don't understand Lev is too serious to understand someone like Sam so he, he doesn't think oh this is just his personality he thinks oh it's, it's because he's, he's too childish exactly this is why he's also acting so foolishly right so mm -hmm. he doesn't I think that the problem is that he doesn't take Sam seriously and this is what irks Sam so much right because he wants to be taken seriously and maybe if Lev really wanted to hear Sam's arguments and try to see him as a mature person and really take what he says into account maybe the situation would be different but he still sees him as a kid and um maybe this is why he 
he he wants to impose his own views on him because he he keeps getting the the impression that I know better and you have to learn from my mistakes. So you have to do what I say. So then this is the problem because he does exactly what Sam hates, right? Mm-hmm. And I think um, because Lev, as Ardayan said, I mean, as revealed through the conversation that Riza has with Ardayan, he's also gone through, well, not gone through necessarily, but he's seen a lot, right? I mean, in the 19th century, especially in the later part of the 19th century in the Russian empire, it was a time of unrest. There was, you know, the pogroms against some Jewish people. And while Lev fortunately did not experience any of that, he heard of it and he saw it in the newspapers. It was frightening. You know, there was like threats of ethnic violence, you know, and there was the assassination of one of the Tsars in the 1880s, you know, which caused a lot of unrest. And a lot of people started disliking a lot of the left-wing people and accusing left-wing and anarchist people of, you know, contributing to the Tsar's death. So there was a lot of unrest in the late 19th century that Lev saw for on firsthand. And I think it's because he went through these circumstances and he saw them and heard about these things happening every day that he thinks that he's much less sheltered and more mature than Sam is. Sam hasn't really seen anything like that in his life. You know, he's just lived the life of a sheltered kid who goes to school and then, you know, he gets a scholarship to go to law school. So he's very sheltered in, in, in many sense. And because of that, I think his parents baby him and they continue to baby him because, quote, he hasn't seen the world. So they want to protect him. Exactly. And Sam hasn't gone through the experience of leaving your whole world behind and starting again in another country. They, he had that all. Uh, everything was handed to him, right? So, well, but this is exactly what they were trying to do to give him a better and easier life. So in a way, Lev cannot hold it against Sam that he was so sheltered and so find it as, as, a, as a proof that he can impose his own opinions on him. But uh, nevertheless, it is very realistic that this happens because this is, well, this is how people behave. So it, it, it is way too difficult to really detach yourself from yourself and from all your experiences and, and be in someone else's shoes. So naturally, this will be uh, a source of conflict between them. Yeah. But Raisa takes uh, Sam's side in all of this in a way, right? But in, in some ways, he, she is still concerned about him. But she does that because she sees Lev's, uh, well, the flaws in Lev's approach, right? And this is mostly why she takes Sam's side and not really because she, she wants Sam to, mm-hmm. uh, to drop out. <laughs> she definitely doesn't. So how do you explain her attitude in this conflict of opinions between Sam and Lev? I think that she wants Lev to be less extreme, maybe. Because I think that she's kind of seeing how his extreme opinionated nature has driven not only her away from him, but also Sam away from him. And I think, you know, especially since it's been 20 years since they, you know, since this event happened where, you know, they start panicking over their economic future. I think after that, Lev became more and more withdrawn. And because of that, Lev, I mean, Riza really looks back to a time where they could communicate better, not only just her and Sam, no, sorry, or her, her and Lev, but Sam and Lev as well. Because after that, I think Lev started like, and this was when he started growing the beard as well. He started like, you know, not talking as much about his own personal experiences and emotions and just said, you should do this. You should do that because this is for your own good. And when, when someone just keeps on talking about that and never about themselves or asking you how you actually feel, there's no actual communication. Right, exactly, exactly, that's, that's true. Um, and uh, well, this is, this is a point where uh, Ardayan makes an appearance, uh, an appearance as well. And it is really interesting, um, I, I won't, well, get a lot into what he says, but at the same time, he talks to Raisa about her relationship with Lev at a moment when Raisa doubts 
their relationship because there are so many problems about it that she started to become conscious of. And this is the moment when Mephistopheles comes in, right? Does he uh, seep doubt into, into her? I think what he's trying to get at is, I think he he's someone who actually sees a lot of flaws in people around him and basically at a lot of weaknesses as well. So he kind of uses these weaknesses to kind of seep through and maybe try to subtly influence them to his own advantage. And I think that was what he was trying to do with Riza, because, you know, as we know, all know, Ardayan is kind of a womanizer and he especially likes to go after, you know, these dissatisfied middle aged types. Oh, exactly. And Raisa at that moment was, well, not exactly, but from his point of view, she was like that. And he thought, oh, this is my moment to come in and and let me awe her with my amazing insight. And she will say, oh, Diane, you saved me from my unhappy marriage and you are the answer to all my problems, right? This is what he hopes to achieve. He does, yeah. <laughs> As a side note, he achieves this canonically, not with Riza, but with the dean's wife. <laughs> oh, gosh. <laughs> oh, oh I, I really feel sorry for the dean. Because, oh, yeah, that, that there is a very unsatisfied wife. So not, not like Raisa, but a lot worse. So yeah, definitely, I can I can imagine her going for something like Ardayan because he's so different from from her husband and from everything that she dislikes in her husband. And Ardayan is just the opposite. And well, I don't think anyone can be happy with Ardayan, but maybe he is what she needs at that point in her life, right? I just hope she doesn't end up very disappointed i hope that she sees him for what he is and doesn't hope that i don't know they will have a happily ever after together oh, i think that's what arda Yon always tells people like he doesn't try to falsely advertise you will find you know you're happy happily ever after with me i think because he's such a he's such a cynical person right is he's such a nihilist and a cynical person that i don't even think he wants to put up that front I mean, right up the front, he knows that he can't make you happy. Basically, he can give you what you want now, but he can't make you happy for the rest of your life. And he can't even make himself happy for the rest of his life. (laughs) I think he realizes that. Exactly. (laughs) Yeah. So he will not make her happy. He's not even going to try. So, yeah. Then you can be with me and we can be cynical together. <laughs> That's basically what it is. And he says, okay, I'll take it. I'm, I'm at, at such a low point in my life that I'll just take this. <laughs> exactly. This is why he only goes after certain types of people. Because I think someone who's not into that kind of thing is just going to be like, why? Why are you even talking to me? <laughs> Yes, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, but but he knows what kind of what kind of women to to talk to. So they uh, it's definitely if someone is bored and disappointed, at least she can get with Ardayan and not be bored and get the opportunity to vent. So at least you have that. And unfortunately, in the case of the dean's wife, there are also other advantages. So <laughs> Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I feel sorry for their situation, but it does make sense. But I'm really curious to see what will happen between the Dean and Tardayan once this happens. But I think this is a subject for a different discussion. Right? Definitely. Yeah, I might write a short story based on that. <laughs> Oh, yeah, exactly. And ironically, maybe the Dean and Ardayan find that they have more similarities than they thought before, because, you know, they might appear to be totally different on the surface, but they're both very cynical men. Oh, yeah, that's right. That's right. But but they have a a different way of manifesting that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the Dean is all about religion, while Ardayan is all about, you know, not caring about religion. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. And Ardayan is 
better uh, a better conversationalist than the dean is and so even if he has his very uh well settled opinions that no one can change but it's not as apparent as it is with the dean right because uh well the the dean thinks that he has the he has the key, the answer to everything. But in a way, Ardayan thinks he has the answer to everything as well, but but he enjoys the conversation while the dean doesn't, right? Yeah. I think the dean is just like, this is how it is, and you have to accept it. But then Ardayan's like, this is how I think it is, but I'm okay to you arguing with me about it. Yeah, exactly. I think he really uh, loves the the argument for the sake of the argument, even if you likely not change his opinion, but he loves hearing other people's opinions, even if this is for the sole reason of contradicting them, right? <laughs> He's a provocateur. Exactly, exactly. But the dean is not even open to dialogues. If, if you have a different opinion than him, that he, then... He, he shows you the hand, right? <laughs> yeah. This is what a PhD in theology and a whole lifelong of, you know, being in a very strict, you know, almost nearly fundamentalist type of Protestant Christianity does to you. Oh, yeah. And Ardayan is so opposite <laughs> to this. Exactly. So, so yeah, even if they do have a lot of things in common, and even if often the the result is similar in the way they uh, they make people interact with them, because neither can make a partner happy for the rest of their lives, but they they achieve this in a very different way. Oh, definitely. I think I think the most opposite two characters in the Samuel canon may be Ardayan and the Dean. Yes, exactly, exactly. Even though they are both, uh, well, we can say negative characters or antagonists, but very different from mm -hmm. each other. Mm -hmm. Ironically, I don't think Ardayan dislikes Sam per se, but the Dean does. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, that's right. I don't think Ardayan cares very much about Sam, right? No, he's just another sheltered, boring kid. He doesn't care. <laughs> oh exactly so he will not try to set sam to the right path there is no right path <laughs> oh yeah exactly yeah definitely for Arteon. exactly mm. so um well we saw this story from the point of view of rice will we get a short story from the point of view of Lev? I am thinking of making one but i'm not sure how to write it what should it be about now i have to figure that out yeah, exactly, because it would be interesting to see his approach on different aspects of their life. So, of course, not just his side in this situation, but something um, something different so that because we, we already sort of know what he feels uh, about these matters through Raisa's perspective and through his own revelation, we can say at the end, or change of heart. So... Um, it would be interesting to to see what other aspects can be explored from Lev's perspective because uh, he's definitely an interesting character himself, and it it will be really interesting to see uh, his opinions on a lot of things. Definitely, yeah, it's definitely on my to do list. And also maybe flashbacks from his early life. What what how he was like before he immigrated and, and what he wanted to achieve. Maybe that would be interesting because young Lev was a very interesting character and he was a lot like Sam. And maybe it will be interesting that in this short story, we can see more of that. This is one thing that I would love to see about mm -hmm. Lev. Me too. I definitely want to see it. Yeah. All right. Uh, well, thank you so much for answering all the questions and for the uh, uh, fascinating discussions that we have. And it will be really interesting to explore more of your short stories in, in future conversations because you have written quite a lot in, in recent times and you have developed so many characters. So it will be very interesting to see um, the points of view of, of other characters as well. Thank you so much. Mm -hmm. Thank you so much. See you. Okay, goodbye. Bye.